I've got a, I'm getting over a bug in my throat, and I've already talked a lot today, so what I'm doing, I hope everybody's ready to talk some, because we're going to pick something that uh, will be good, hopefully, that you can open up and talk some on. Uh, we're going to start with the 18th chapter of Ezekiel, turn over there, and I'll give you an idea about the subject. We'll go from the 18th chapter of Ezekiel to the 4th chapter of Deuteronomy. And then uh, from there we'll go to Second Peter, the first chapter, and beginning with verse four. And then from there we'll look at First Corinthians 11:1 1, and Philippians 2. Um, <clears throat> what we're going to look at is the the idea. <coughs> of our accountability, our individuality, uh, how much control that you actually have <coughs> over yourself, separate and apart from your environment or genes or, or anything else. In our society today, we, um, which is influenced mostly from a secular humanist standpoint, that uh, uh, humans are thought primarily the product of their genes and their environment. Uh, a good statement on this would be maybe Clarence Darrow and his um, debate with William Jennings Bryan in passing in front of the jail there in Dayton made the statement that uh, those people could not uh, any more avoid being in jail than he could avoid being a lawyer. Uh, our criminal justice system uh, that in this generation has refuse to deal with criminals from a standpoint of, of punishment for the most part is based on this concept that uh, you are the product of, of your environment. And so if your environment is a certain way, you don't really have the, uh, the, any choice. And so therefore you'll hear these people talking in terms is if you want these young guys to quit raping and looting and doing those things, uh, then give them jobs. You know, and that'll change them. As long as, they're, as long as they don't have jobs or as long as they don't, can't afford a car or as long as they don't have education, then, then that's all you can expect. They're the product of the environment itself. Uh, Sigmund Freud's uh, uh, psychology is based, in, Sigmund Freud, by the way, is an atheist, is based entirely on this philosophy of life. That man is, is simply, a, first of all, an, an animal that his genes has given him certain characteristics and then he has a certain environment that influences him. Okay, all of this flies right in the face of some very plain statements uh, in the Bible. And so we're going to look at the, the biblical teaching on that. And then as we look at it, uh, in your own mind, I want you to contrast the two different thoughts and see what arguments that you can make for either one and can you actually take evidence and present argument for one idea over, over the other? And we're going to start, there's no better statement on it than this to start with in, than in Ezekiel, uh, the 18th chapter. And so Mark, I'm going to start with you over here and read a comfortable amount and then pause and let's go on through uh, the 18th chapter. Okay, look at uh, the verses like verse uh, 5. It talks about there is a righteous man, describes all the good things that he does. But then look at verse 10. Then he says, suppose he has a violent son. So here is a righteous man, but, and he says he will live. But then he has a violent son. And he names all the things he does. But then the violent son, we're down to the grandson uh, now, verse 14 Suppose this son has a son who sees all the sin his father committed, and though he sees them, he does not do them. So we've got a righteous one that has a violent son, and then he has a son who observes the conduct of his father and makes a decision not to be that way himself. And then uh, comes on down in verse uh, 17, uh, latter part of the verse, it says he will not die for his father's sin. The father will die for his own sin. And then he makes uh, verse 21. He, you can have a wicked man who then makes a decision to turn away from the sins he's committed. 
And the end result, verse 23, is he'll live. On the other hand, verse 24, you can have a righteous man who turns away from his righteousness and he will die, the latter part of verse 24. And then you come on down and you run into this word in verse 30, sovereign, declares the sovereign Lord. Somebody want to give me the meaning of the word sovereign? Okay, you're sovereign, you're, you're actually, you have total control, right, if you're sovereign. So we notice something here about uh, the creation, and Ezekiel expressed that on the one hand, God is sovereign, but what about all human beings? They're free to choose whether they're going to be right or wrong. Okay, they're free to choose according to this, that although God is sovereign, people are not programmed in any way, uh, they're actually free to choose. Uh, according to this, uh, is having a, a righteous father and mother guarantee that the child will be righteous? Okay, and having an unrighteous is not guarantee either, right, that they will be. And uh, he also gives weight to the power of observation, right? He says this, this unrighteous or this one son can observe his unrighteous dad and actually make the decision I'm not going to to be that way. Uh, I don't know that you could state it any clearer than than the example given. And by the way, at the time Ezekiel write this, writes this, they had just gone through a period of history where uh, they had a righteous king and an unrighteous one, and then a righteous and then an unrighteous. You know, that was their, their history at, at this point in time. And the people, what they were doing, look at beginning with verse uh, uh, one, verse 2, the proverb they were quoting. The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So what were they doing there? Okay. They're, they're blaming, they're, they've been, uh, by the way, Ezekiel, keep in mind, if, if you want to get a better idea of the time frame, Ezekiel was carried into Babylonian captivity about 587, 588 B.C., right, right in that area. Daniel went into captivity in about 605. And so God has Daniel in the palace with Nebuchadnezzar, and he has Ezekiel out among the captives in Babylon. And these people are griping and complaining and moaning about the punishment, and they're blaming their parents and their forefathers. They said, you know, that we're suffering because of them. And Ezekiel is, is stating very plain that even though your dad may have been a certain way, you're here because of your sin. Okay, now, notice another thing in the con context. He uses the word guilt. Uh, where, anybody find that, what verse that's in? said he would not suffer the guilt of his father. Okay, verse, uh, let's see, verse 20, uh, the soul who sins, one would die, so I'm not sharing the guilt of the father, nor would the father sharing the guilt of the son. Now, the Bible teaches that you can definitely suffer some consequences because of the sin of your forefathers. Remember in the law of Moses, that there was a statement that uh, he would visit the sins of the fathers unto the fourth and fifth generation. And he's not saying exactly four and five. He's saying the consequences were, would be there, but the guilt is not. And so the Bible teaches that uh, there can definitely be consequences that you suffer as a result of the sins of a previous generation, but guilt is only incurred by your sin. Okay, now to challenge that in your own mind, when do you feel guilty? Okay, you have to do something yourself, right? To uh, uh, my dad, biological, was a scoundrel. You know, I don't feel any guilt at all because of him. I have to do something wrong, and and then my conscience uh, bothers me. So I can suffer consequences for mistakes that he made, uh, but not guilt. Uh, that uh, and so. Each person suffers guilt only for their own sin. Now, obviously, this would fly in the face of the fact that uh, you're simply the product of your environment. 
right? Uh, all right, now, forget about this chapter. If, think about our environment, and, and you, if you were talking to somebody, what would you give as evidence to support this from the world that we live in, that, uh, that you actually have the capacity to make choices, good or bad, no matter your environment? Any, what could you look for as evidence of that? From a worldly aspect, or, uh-huh. or just from the examples of life. Here, you're you're talking with somebody that is seeped in Sigmund Freud, and and um, this is the psychology of the day, and and so you're talking about accountability, even though this person might have a um, a terrible env- environment. Uh, and of course, you've got the plain statement from the Bible here. What would you draw on as as evidence for that in the world that we live in? Someone turning out good, even though they came from a very bad environment. Okay. Is that what you're saying? Right. In other words, that all right is, is that a truism uh, in our world and based on all your observations of life? Have you known or read about individuals who come from an environment where maybe the mom and dad were terrible and the 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 place where they lived was terrible, and yet this person was a jewel? I mean, that person exists, doesn't he? Okay, well, let's go to the, the ghetto. And, and we're looking at all these people uh, doing these things, and we're blaming the environment. For example, let's go back to L.A. And when that happened after the first Rodney King decision, they said, well, uh, it was only natural because of the way these people have lived and been treated. And all. But did all the blacks react that way from that environment? Were there some blacks that reacted the opposite? that uh, when the, the white guy that was beat up so bad, uh, it was a black woman, in fact, I think two black women, who came to his rescue, managed to get him in the truck, and one of them drove it out of there and helped fight off the people. They come from the same environment, lived in the same situation, and had suffered the same kinds of, uh, uh, of abuse uh, from the whites. So, I mean, our society, uh, I'll, I'll agree it has been racist. And so they, but yet they reacted totally different uh, in, in that situation. Um, okay, are there those individuals who, have we known they come from an, uh, an environment where they've been taken to church and mom and dad were decent people and they had decent people around them and they were taught values and they did, did some atrocious things? Okay, now in science, could you refer to something as a law if you found one exception after another to it? You couldn't. In fact, in science, we don't call something a law if we find an exception to it, do we? When we talk about the law of gravity, the first and second law of thermodynamics, we haven't found any exception to the thing we're talking about. And so and when we observe it, we observe it, we observe it, and there's no exceptions, we say this is a law. And it'll stay that way until we find an exception. So I'm saying this this uh, philosophy that is being propagated in the in the uh, secular humanist realm uh, is one that uh, forget about the Bible. There are a multitude of exceptions to it. And so then that it's it, and then we look here, and when we make our observations of life, would the observations of life be in favor of what Ezekiel is saying here? Okay, now there's no question that uh, you're going to find maybe more of something than something else depending on, on the environment. And I don't think there's any question that it's easier to go with your environment. Okay, I don't think there's no question there. But the point is, do we have the ability to, to step out beyond the environment itself? Now, this can become important in what we're working up to when we get over to Peter. A lot of Christians have been in, influenced in this area that, that I think keeps us from developing ourselves and becoming more Christ-like. And we even pick up on certain things that, I've got a temper just like my dad, you know, or, or you just have to live with me, you know, I'm this, I'm this way, or, or maybe a girl, you know, the same way, that I am this way, you know, you just have to accept that. I've always been this way, you know, my mom was this way and my granddad was this way, et, et cetera. 
And really, what Christianity is about is is really change, uh, and 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 with the uh, attitude that we have that capacity for it. All right, now let's notice something else over here to Deuteronomy four. Keep that in mind what he said in Ezekiel, and let's look at this over in Deuteronomy four, beginning with verse five, and. Uh, the Israelites have been given this law by Moses. Now keep in mind their background is pagan. Uh, they come right out of uh, what evidence could you give from the historical record that the Israelites had been brought up totally different uh, than the law of Moses uh, and their background was really bent in the direction of paganism. <coughs> Any evidence you could give of that? Well, Moses was going to get the Ten Commandments and they made the idol for them. Okay. They, uh, that golden calf actually was an idol. Uh, the holy cow was actually an idol in Egypt. And they practice, uh, their gods were fertility gods. And so when Moses came down, all that revelry uh, and, and sexual misconduct and all that was going on, was literally a part of the worship that they had learned in Egypt. And that was they, they worshiped by fornicating. And that was the, through the fertility gods of, of that day. And so they, uh, and the bull uh, and, bull, and the cow were symbols of fertility. And so we see in their background that uh, that's their background. And yet Moses is going to give them the law and expect them to change, right? Well, then they're living in a world out here, uh, a pagan world of that day, that is a certain way. Okay, now, with that in mind, where do we leave off reading? Okay, uh, Ange, start with verse 5 and read 5 through 8. See, I have taught you to praise the laws of the Lord my God commanded you, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding <coughs> to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them, the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Okay, as, as pertains to human beings and their conduct and their powers of observations, no matter what the environment and all, do you see anything in those few verses? People have the ability to see that the law works. Okay. That uh, he said, if you live by the law, that these pagan people will observe this and say, hey, you know, who has a righteous law like this? Uh, sometimes I wish the word righteous wasn't in there. We just put the R. That's an old, old English word. We just use the word right. Uh, what he's saying is that uh, people will observe and say, hey, that is right. Something is right if it works. Okay, it works. And so he's saying that this law is, is, is so right that if you put it into practice, here are people out here who have been brought up entirely different, but they will observe it and say, hey, that is right. It, it works. It's like you looking at your next door neighbor and his garden is just outgrowing the dickens out of yours and you're saying, hey, he's doing something right you know, that, uh, that I'm not doing. Uh, but then also, not only can it be observed, but we noted that the Israelites come from this pagan in environment, and what did he expect of them relative to the law? And obey it. Expect them to obey it. <laughs> Observe it carefully. So, uh, according to Moses, that uh, even though you haven't been taught something from childhood, if you become convinced that something is right, you actually have the ability to change. You, you, you have the ability to change. And keep in mind, we're not teaching, and Moses is not, perfection. Uh, you know, but, but that you have the ability to, to observe and, and see that this is right and, and, and make a decision to do it and realize it's right. And, and people who are living completely different uh, can observe and see that it's right. Um, in what sense is Christianity based on this principle, so far as the world is concerned? Okay, that, that would be a, a principle of right. It's a decision that you make, whosoever will. Uh, 
Anything else? <coughs> Principle here that's actually used to uh, promulgate uh, Christianity, grab people's attention. Well, it should be a big contrast between Christians' lives and the, and the world. Okay. Um, practice. Jesus said that you're the light. Uh, uh, nobody puts a candle under a bushel. He says, let your works shine before men that they may see your Father in you and glorify your Father in heaven. But what is that saying about the, the world that the Christian lives in? Uh, if he says, let your light shine and they will glorify the God that you serve and recognize these things. What's that saying about them, no matter what their environment? Okay. That uh, everybody is, according to the Bible, everybody's made in the image of God. And that, that he has the ability to observe, and no matter what his background, to see that certain things are right and worth. Um, if this is fully understood, what this is saying to you, just like you guys in college or or somebody like myself into the, in the workplace or anything, that although you live, if this is true now, uh, although you live in a pagan world that is becoming more and more pagan, that these people, no matter what their environment, and I don't care if they ever went to Sunday school one day in their life, and if they've never sat in one Bible study, that they're made an image of God, and they have powers of observation, and if you conduct your certain, yourself in a certain way around them and with them, that you're going to say something to them that they can observe and, and notice. Uh, and in other words, I'm saying that it's a shame that so many Christians get caught up into the peer conduct of, of non-Christians uh, because they don't have the backbone to stand up. When in reality, the very people that uh, we're being caught up with are made in the image of God and deep down have the ability to perceive that certain conduct is, is more right than others uh, that, and, and, can, uh, and can identify with it. And so Moses is telling them there that, no, I don't care about your background. Uh, by the way, when Moses came down and they were worshiping the calf, uh, can you picture Moses? And uh, he gets there and he looks the situation over and says, well... You know, this is only to be expected. They've been doing this for years in, in Egypt, you know, and, and we just won't do anything about it. Well, they had been doing that for years, hadn't they? But they'd already been taught better. And they'd already seen the evidences uh, for the God of, of Israel. And so it didn't matter about their background. There was, there was no excuse because they, they had that awareness there. Okay, come over to the New Testament now. Uh, 2 Peter 1 and beginning with verse 4. <coughs> Alright, now, notice before we read this too, if you're talking to people and you're going to have a lot of friends that, that have problems and of course your goal as a Christian is to mold yourself in the image of Christ and also to leave others. Uh, if this is right, and, and we can show it and demonstrate it. Can you see something that you've got to offer to yourself and to others that cannot be offered by a modern psychiatrist? I, I don't know. I, I'd like to say something about that, I guess. I've been thinking about, I don't even know. I mean, I know about all these, you know, Christian evidences and things like that, but I don't, I just, for some reason, I have this fear. It's like, I don't know, I guess it's what it is. That I don't really have anything to offer. I mean, it's like I know that Christianity is the right way, and I know it's the only way that you can live, but yet I guess I just take for granted that people have listened to that thought. And it's like, if you even bring up ideas about Christianity, at least this is my perception, and maybe it's wrong, that you can't really even talk about it because people just look at you like you're crazy or something. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's just not putting enough work into it or if it's just being afraid or exactly what it is, but the idea of sharing the, the concepts that are in here, because I, I mean, I look at it and I know they're right, but yet I see all my friends, you know, cheating in school, and right. I see, not all my friends, but all my friends who are in my classes, you know, right. a lot of them cheat and they, they, they do other things that 
I'm just like, you know, do I, should I even say anything? I mean, if they can't see that I'm a Christian, then I wonder about myself. You know, I think, well, am I being a good enough example? I mean, what's wrong? I mean, I don't understand. And All right, so, now, because they're doing this, though, does not mean that they don't know what's wrong, right? That's uh, true. Uh, the, uh, before I became a Christian, uh, you know, I did a, uh, some wrong things, but I, I believe they were wrong. Uh, it was interesting to me, I the, the, uh, spent four years in the Marine Corps, and the guys did, when we went out, did a lot of wrong things. But the interesting thing to me was that they actually believed they were wrong, and if they saw other people that weren't doing that, they could recognize that as, as right. And so behavior is one thing, belief is uh, something else. Uh, you can believe that smoking is foolish and still do it, right? You can believe that drinking and driving is foolish and still do it. And so I'm saying don't be discouraged in that realm because that person is made in the image of God. And uh, deep down what, uh, where, where it's important for you to stand out, what happens to people if they're in a situation where everybody around them is doing it, they just simply can. This is like the kid I had in my office the other day and corrected for doing something. Uh, Louise was there first. There was denial, and I well, lied. But then when we finally nailed him down, it was everybody's doing it. His next thing was that, what are you so shocked for? Everybody is doing this. And then he pointed the finger at me. And he said, when you was my age, didn't you do uh, this and all? Well, I know the world that this kid comes from, and I'd say he's being honest with that observation, that he's, uh, that, 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 that is a thing. So what we need is more Christians who say, no, no, everybody's not doing it. And I think this person is not going to feel guilt until they realize that, yeah, there's other people that don't do things. They don't <coughs> say it's wrong that they don't do it. And I believe that by good conduct, you, you can actually begin to cause people to feel guilt for the wrong they do. And the first step towards repentance, and of course, we're, we're, our goal is Christ, you don't repent until you feel guilt. And you don't feel guilt until you believe you're wrong. And as long as you can cop out and say everybody's doing it, you know, everybody's promiscuous or everybody lies or everybody cheats, uh, all the guys sow wild oats, etc. As long as you've got that in your mind, then you can, you've got a cop-out feature. But then what happens, you meet another person here who's living in your same environment, and they're not doing that, and so you lose your cop-out there because that person is not doing it. And maybe, I mean, you, in the long run on that, uh, Mark, you may make a lot of people think that you, maybe you're not realizing that uh, uh, when you don't cheat or don't do you know, some of the things, but this is exactly what uh, Jesus was asking him to do, is to be the light in the world. The world is dark, and so he says you'll be a light. And I think that, uh, for example, in our, in our society, I don't know the exact statistic on this now because it's about five years old, but I heard it in a, a Billy Graham presentation, and he was dealing with the divorce rate in our society, that it was one in two. Actually, it's about 58% now. But at that time, it's about one and two. But he made the observation that when two Christians, who each came from a Christian home, where there had not been a divorce, no, they each come from a Christian home, and who have met on a Christian campus and married, when they look at those people in the stats, their, their divorce rate is one in 400. So just a, a tremendous... Uh, uh, difference there and I'm saying that uh, Christians in our society by having successful marriages and by rearing their children in a successful way can be an example and what people do they actually cop out because everybody around them seems to be doing it and what Ezekiel is dealing with over there is he's trying to get them as individuals he's trying to take a cop out and says no you know you are what you are by your choice period and you can do right uh, if, if you want to. And uh, this is the impact of, of the entire Bible, I believe, Old and New Testament, that, that God has given us free choice. And no matter what our environment, we can make a choice. Now, now keep in mind, I'm not saying that, it's, that the environment doesn't make it easier or more difficult. If, uh, if you're brought up in a family that uses poor English, 
you can be very intelligent and you're probably going to be using poor English, right? But does that mean you have to continue? You can, you can study and you can make an effort and, and you can begin to use that. It may be natural to do the right thing for somebody else, but you can actually change your entire language pattern uh, through effort. I think what Mark's saying, I think if we don't watch ourselves, that can discourage us from doing it. But most people will not accept, so I think you have to have to go out with that and know that we were not, we're not held responsible for converting that person, but we are held responsible for getting out the message. And so I think, think the, maybe the idea to keep in mind is that, um, you know, we just keep plugging away, and there are honest people out there, and eventually there will be those people who, who respond. But even those that don't, like take this person you're talking about, Paul said, if Christ is not raised from the dead, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If I did not believe in God, if I were not a Christian, I would be a liar. Because I would definitely lie if it was to my advantage. It would seem crazy to me not to. And yet I would believe it's wrong. Because I don't want anybody deceiving me so I could perceive it. So I'm saying that I don't worry about that conduct on the other person because that until we've had an opportunity, you want the opportunity to study with him or get him into the services, and you want him to hear a presentation for the evidences for the existence of God and the, and the resurrection of Christ. All right? Your conduct is going to be a big factor in whether or not he's willing to come and listen. Even though he may be doing wrong, he's still, in his, he's made an image of God, and he's going to identify with that right conduct. And he may still do the wrong because he don't believe, and he doesn't have the incentive but still, there is that conscious identification with what is right, and it can have a part. And so think of yourself, rather than just converting that person, is sowing a seed in his mind. And that and the ideal is to make him receptive to at least want to hear You know, the evidence is presented. And think of conversion as this long-range thing that's going to happen. Notice uh, uh, something that happens with this idea that's presented in the Bible. Our psychiatrist simply take people where they're at and they leave them where they're at. They tell the homosexual, accept the fact that you're a homosexual. You can't do anything about it. And they leave him in that condition. And, and they take a person and their way of handling anything is learn to accept yourself as you are and then let other people learn to accept you. That is the modern way of handling it. Accept yourself as you are. and not. So you really confine a person to something terrible for the rest of their life when it's only the Christian offers, uh, he comes to this person and he says, I don't care what your past or whether or not you're a homosexual or a prostitute or, or whatever you are, that you don't have to be that way. You can change and be a totally different person and, and reap the benefits from being that other type person. So you can you offer hope uh, that that they, they simply cannot. Okay, look at this uh, on this, again, with the same concept in mind. Start with, where was we up to uh, in the reading? Uh, John, let's start with verse 4, and let's see, let's uh, go on down through verse uh, 12. 2 Peter 1. 2 uh, Peter 1. By this, he hath granted to us his precious and magnificent promise, nor that by them... You might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Therefore, I shall always be ready to remind you of these things, 
even though you already know them and have established them, established in the truth, which is presented with you, present oh. with you. Okay, look at uh, uh, <coughs> verse uh, 4. <coughs> you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil disorders. In other words, he said there's something that you can do that actually participates, the one translation says, partakes of the divine nature and can escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. All right, then he says, make every effort, in that verse 5, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he mentions goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And said, if you possess them, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge. And if you do not have them, you're nearsighted and blind and forgotten uh, about your past sins. And it says, if you do these things, you will never fall. Okay, and then where does it say about in receiving them in an increasing manner? What verse is that? Eight. Verse 8. Okay. Uh, you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Okay, what does that say about the whole thing when you say, if you do these things, and if you possess these qualities in increasing measure? That you're not going to do it perfect to start with, but you can get better. Okay, are you ever going to be perfect then? Okay, so on the one hand, you don't reach perfection. <coughs> And these qualities, um, every quality is possessed in a, to a certain degree, whether it's faith or love. Uh, we often say a person loves or he has faith or he's kind or he's courteous or he has self-control. But the truth is all of those are possessed to different degrees, right? And then you reach a certain level, wherever that may be, where we say uh, he's good in this area, he's patient in this area. And what we really mean is in comparison with the average person, uh, this quality stands out. But we don't mean that he don't have room to grow and all that. And, and, then, and that's true with all his qualities. But what he talks about there is really the remaking of our personality, isn't it? That uh, this is, he says, partake of the divine nature. This is the personality of God, if personality is the best word, it may not be. And so he said, we make an effort to partake of those. Anybody who exercises self-control is making an effort to do it. And we often say that, well, you know, he's just kind or something like that. If somebody is kind, I guarantee you they're making an effort to be kind. If somebody is courteous, it's not just a natural thing. I guarantee you they're making an effort uh, to be courteous. Um, if somebody has any of those qualities, godliness, uh, love, any of them, they're not, they don't just naturally happen. And some people go all their life and they don't grow in these qualities simply because they don't make the effort to grow in that quality. In other words, they just sit back and with the attitude, take me as I am. You know, take me or leave me. You know, that I'm, this is, what you see is what you get. You know, some of the things we say. Well, uh, the Lord says he sees a sinner and he wants him changed. And so that, that the New Testament is one of where we have a, a changing that goes on all our life. And that means, if I understand this, every Christian ought to constantly be examining himself in light of those qualities. And there ought to be the constant effort to increase in all of those qualities. And you literally, and you know, the great thing about spiritual things, there's, there's a lot of things about the physical we can't do anything about. You've got a certain limit on your IQ. Uh, you've got certain limitations on your uh, physical looks, uh, all of those various things. But spiritually, where is the limit on those qualities? Does a person with a higher IQ than another one have an advantage when it comes to growing in self-control and perseverance and godliness? Do pretty people have an advantage over ugly people? This is something that, uh, it's interesting, uh, whether or not you really like or dislike people revolves around those qualities. 
and it's something that um, that we all have an equal shot at. And and youth or age or anything, you've all you, we've all got a shot at it. So. Uh, Peter is saying that we can partake. I don't care what your environment. What about the people Peter's writing to now? Were they brought up as Christians? They weren't. Were they? Were not. Were not brought up as Christians at all. And so, writing to them, uh, he's telling them to become uh, that type of person. Uh, where is the scripture? Um that Paul, where Paul uses, um, talks about running the race, Christian race. Um, First Corinthians nine, where he talks about not beating of a shadow yeah. or anything. First Corinthians nine, okay. the latter part. Yeah, the latter part. Yeah, that's a good example to. That, that's a real good example to tie in with that. Everybody want to turn over there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, and uh, somebody want to read that, verse 24 through 27. That's that strict training, so again, you got effort. Okay, somebody, uh, who, where are we up to anyway? Annette, do you want to read that, please? Yeah. If you don't feel comfortable at the next, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm saying I generally say that at first. I just forgot to say it. Anybody doesn't feel comfortable, so let it pass. 24 through uh, 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will be not disqualified for the price. Okay. Uh, and Paul said, I'm not a shadow boxer, you know, I'm hitting. That, uh, so look at the statement he makes there, I beat my body. Make it my slave. Uh, and he compares himself to an athlete that's in strict training. All right, think of the qualities that we just read. Why does Paul have to make that statement that I beat my body? Because it goes against what you really want to do, what your impulses are. Okay. I mean, the natural way to react to people is a lot of times in anger or selfishness. <coughs> Okay, um, the body is part of the animal kingdom, isn't it? I mean, body's not made in the image of God, and so when we see something that looks good and tastes good, we just want to eat it. And so then the old brain has to kick in, and there, and then self-control, or we just eat it. And the same thing with anything else, you know, when it comes to to our sexuality, to anything, you're just in a body, and the body just sees what it wants, and it, and it desires it, and the problem is, we live in a society that says all of this is natural, and you know it's right, it is natural to the body. And so they're saying, well, you're only doing what comes naturally, so it has to be okay. Why would God make this as something natural, you know, and say it's wrong? And so, Paul is saying that the body just simply wants to please itself. And so then the, the spirit, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Then as we partake of this information, then he says we go to work on our body. So what's going to happen to us if we go through life and we really don't work on this body and go after it? You're going to do what? What comes naturally, right. We're, uh, and... And that's really what happens to us. When I say that you're just going to have to live with me, i got a quick temper. What I'm really saying is I haven't expended the effort to control that temper. That's exactly what I'm, what I'm saying on, on something like that. Or if you're, going to, you're just going to have to live with me because of such and such, or you're going to have to put up with me because of such and such, that uh, the point is I don't have to be that way according to this. And by the way, again, we're not talking about 
perfection. But we're saying that uh, we look at ourselves, I believe that we ought to look at ourselves like Paul had to look at himself. And wherever you see weaknesses, you go to work on that. Uh, I may have used this guy as an uh, illustration before in one of our studies. I can't remember. But is everybody here familiar with Baxelbert Baxter? The, the name. You're not. Some of you, man, I just. So is how old I am. Baxelbert Baxter, in my younger years, was uh, probably one of the one of the best known preachers within Churches of Christ. He was on the Herald of Truth for years, head of the Bible Department, David Lipscomb College, uh, held meetings all over the place, preached for the Hillsborough Church in uh, Nashville. At that time, you couldn't have found anybody that wasn't aware of him. I'm talking to Barbara after class that the man was absolutely amazing to me because of his humility. I'd never met anybody that humble in my life. The guy had a doctor's degree, and I mentioned all the things about him because you know, it's hard to have a lot of people telling you how great you are and, and be humble. You know, but uh, here's a guy with a doctor's degree, and he's on TV, and he's on radio, and he preaches for the, one, of the, one of the biggest churches in town, and he's head of the Bible department. And uh, he had a humility of character that just absolutely stood out. Um, uh, you know, I was a nobody. And yet you were a king when you was talking to Brother Baxter. You know, he's just that type of person. But anyway, in a conversation in, in class once, we were talking about this thing of, of remaking yourself and everything like that and working on weaknesses. And so somebody just asked him, you know, what did he regard as his greatest weakness that he had to work on? And it, it just it stuck in my mind all through. He said pride. That, that, that he looked at himself as a young man and he said his biggest weakness was pride, that he was, he was successful all through life, everything he did, and, and he said it, it was. But what had happened here is that he had taken a look at himself as a young man and recognized pride as something that, from a Christian standpoint, was not great and had worked on it and hadn't said anything to anybody. And then here I am, years later, sitting in his class, and thinking of him as the most Christ-like and humble in heart individual I'd ever met in my life. Uh, but I'm saying that on, on any characteristic, I believe we have the God-given ability to take these characteristics, and if we're really willing to work on them, we can incorporate them into our personality. That the goal of Christianity is to become Christ-like. Uh, Moses gave a law a lot of weak, part of the weakness in that law is you never got to see anybody keep it, including Moses himself, keep it to its fullest. And the beauty of Christianity is that you have a life that perfectly lived it, and then he says, follow my example. Well, move right over here to this next chapter, that after Paul makes that statement, and look what he says in 11.1 1 of 1 Corinthians. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Notice what he said right before that in verse 33, or let's back up to verse 30, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so Paul is saying, I have found Christ to be this type of person. I'm following his example. And he's already told you it wasn't easy, hasn't he? He said, I have to beat my own body. And I have, have to buffet it. Uh, any of these people, think of any good quality that any of your best friends have. And I'll suggest to you that the quality is not natural. That they work on it. That uh, and 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 some of the ways. And by the way, have you ever noticed that anytime somebody compliments you on a certain quality, what is your tendency after that, so far as that quality is concerned? You actually you realize they noticed that, and you actually file it in your mind. And that's by the way you get self-fulfilled prophecy. That's why that teachers are told to compliment children when they're good. Tell them they're good. And, and reinforce that in their mind that, hey, I'm good. And, and on any other quality, and if the kid does something that's smart, then that was smart. 
you know, and put it in his mind that he's that he's smart. But you can take these qualities, and and I don't believe that anybody is naturally any of these spiritual qualities uh, that we actually make an effort uh, to become that way. And that's true with whether we're talking about the knowledge and the information or or any of these spiritual qualities, and Paul has told you very plainly that that's what he did. Okay, one other passage, and we'll sum it up. Um, Over here to Philippians. Uh, The second chapter. (coughs) Okay, read that. uh, Darren, would you read that verse... uh, Three through five, please. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Okay, now look again. Uh, he wants them to not have selfish ambition, vain conceit, but he wants them to be humble. But notice it's given in a text that you do this. And the way you do it is, he said, your attitude should be the same as Christ, and then who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And so then he goes ahead and gives that example of of Jesus. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? He said, I, your Lord and Master, then you, so far as that example of, of humility there. All the way through, Paul makes it clear to you that he is the type of person that he is, not because it was easy and he was born that way, but because he is making a willful effort to emulate Jesus in his life. And I suggest to you that any godly person you've ever known, uh, any spiritual person, uh, any Christ-like person, any good characteristic that you've seen in any individual, whatever it is, that it's not there naturally. That doing what is natural is doing what is selfish and for yourself. And it's because that person has made an effort. By the way, another thing that will happen if we realize that, it'll cause us to appreciate kind and courteous and generous people instead of just thinking, well, hey, that's just the way they are. I believe you appreciate those qualities more. It's like with Brother Baxter. I appreciated his humility more when I when he made the statement there. Because... You know, it made me feel good because that uh, I was a young man that man then, and and I considered if I were evaluating myself, I considered pride. And by the way, most uh, this is a big thing with males, and with most males, pride is a big factor, uh, with, with especially with males. And so I looked at that and I thought, well, man, if that was a problem with him and he can do it, then maybe there's hope for me too. And I think that when you uh, teach others. If we're willing to come out and say, hey, I'm, you know, this isn't easy for me. I have the same desires. I have the same frustrations. I've made the same mistakes. But uh, I'm doing this because I'm making an effort to do it, and, and so can you. And it actually, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It, it really works. What it also says when you're leading people to Christ and you're talking to this person that is that has been a prostitute or is a homosexual or is a whatever, is that you're letting those per- that person know that you're not doomed to that. You can honestly change your life and you can be exactly what you want to be. And don't let anybody convince you that you have to be a certain way because your mom or your daddy was or, or your environment. Any, any comments or observations before we... I have a, I have a question. Um, <clears throat> This is something that's kind of been on my mind, I guess, the past few years. That just to illustrate, use an example. Before we went to Prague, the group that went to mission group that went to Prague, we took these personality tests. You know, it's like the Taylor Johnson or some kind of test like that. You know, we found out what areas we were where I would like explode. Somebody might not. Somebody other person might be real extroverted, and another person might be introverted. I know I have a couple of friends, I guess, that are real big on this personality stuff. I mean, like ISTJ, you know, you're an introvert, or you're a thinker, or a feeler, you're all these different things. And uh, I guess, to what extent do you, how does that come into play? I mean, is, is Paul talking about, you know, 
if I'm an introvert or whatever, do I just operate as an introvert, or do I? Is that just a bunch of garbage, or what? I mean, how how does that? You you might have tendencies that make you certain. I don't believe any of it personally. Uh, that. They, I, first of all, I don't believe in stereotyping or character. I believe you can be what you want to be if you want bad enough. I'm going to talk about your personality. Uh, have you ever read the, Norman Vincent Field? Anybody ever read his the biography on him and all? Uh, extremely shy, uh, totally introverted person, problem stuttering, and became one of the greatest public speakers and a great uh, minister and renowned and he's outgoing and never has never seen a stranger and he made a decision to to be a, a certain way that uh, when you tell a person that you're just, you're shy and you get them to accept that yes uh, you'll get self-fulfilled prophecy they go all the way through life but if that person becomes convinced that uh, and keep in mind there's not necessarily wrong anything wrong with sometimes it may not be shyness but if a person is to the extent that they don't speak up when they want to, then their shyness is to their detriment. And I'm saying that don't let that person believe it. Let them know that you can, you can be just exactly what you want to, and you can speak out, and you can be just as outgoing and loving and, and out as, as, as somebody else. And uh, I think you can really make the decision to be either way you want to, with a with a conscious effort. There may very well have been things in your background and in your family and certain things that predisposed you to go in a certain direction. But Christianity is based on the fact that you can change. And I know I was, we had a conversation today with some of the elders that came down and we was talking about a situation where you had a young man that got up to speak recently and he passed out, a 16-year-old boy. And they was telling me about that. Uh, you know about part of their training program, I, I guess. And I told him that uh, that you know to go back and talk to that young guy because if he doesn't watch it, he won't get up there again. The first time I spoke publicly, my mind went blank, and I had to sit down. And my mother told me, "says You're not cut out to do that." You know, you were, and she had embarrassed her. You know that I was it was a young men's training class, and, and they had built that all up and everything, and I was up there and I'd worked for hours on my lesson. And I just got up there and went blank. Didn't say one word. Felt terrible and sat down, embarrassed her. You know, the the other guy, the preacher's son, he could have talked all day. You know, that uh, and so but I'm saying that um, that you you I don't buy that. I think that uh, I think a person can actually be a shy, introverted person and if they make a conscious decision, they want to be another way, I think they can do it. And I think you ought to put that in their mind, and, and that's the only way they will. And you can give all kinds of examples with life of people who were a certain way in any number of areas and became totally different because they went to it. Who's the guy I'm trying to think of? Uh, the great runner. Um, the guy that was... You got, um, was burnt so bad in a fire they said he would never walk again. And he won the 1,500 meters in the Olympics. Uh, I read his biography as a kid. I can't even think of his name right now. Um, the fact they told him he couldn't walk again is what motivated him uh, on. But uh, I, I say I, I believe that in any number of areas, you see it in athletics, you see it in scholastically, and I think you spiritually is the best of all because there are limits uh, when it comes to scholastically and, and things of that nature. But spiritually, and when it comes to your personality, I really believe that, that you can be exactly what you want to be. And, and, and of course our desire is to just move in the direction of becoming more and more Christ-like. And, and Christians saying that I can't talk to people or lead them to Christ or anything like that, I think that's a cop-out. They'll do that all their life as long as they say it. They need to say, I can do it. I just, need to, I just need to learn how. You know, I may have to work at it to start with, but they can do it. It seems to me like that all of that is intertwined. I, I don't know. The more I thought about it, I guess even just tonight, it just makes sense to me that any aspect of your life that is not brought in line with something that needs to be done as far as being a Christian, you need to do it. I don't know. It, 
I guess I've been wrestling with that because I think, well, do I stay like what I am? I mean, do, is this the way I am? I mean, you know, is this my personality that I, you know, to say something embarrassing, don't, I can't have trouble asking girls out or whatever, you know, it's like different things like that, ridiculous things like that, you know, uh -huh. I mean, is that part of me or can I yeah. change that? Can I yeah. go out and speak to my friends who are, yeah. Who will agree that they're watching filth when I walk in there watching a porno? They said, yeah. well, what are you doing? You're watching I'm watching filth. That's what he said. Yeah. You know, on and on. It's I just don't I just need to know what kind of, you know, to what extent do I need to bring my personality change it? I mean, I don't know exactly what needs to change. Well, I don't know what Christ is a goal for all of us and you just we're always going in that direction. Keep in mind about the other fellow, you can't force anything on him. But you can, you can always have in your mind he's made an image of God. And I don't care what he's doing, he identifies with what is right. Uh, he's got a conscience and he's made an image of God and deep down he identifies. But you see what I'm saying? It's like, I just need, I don't know, I just, I've been listening to all this talk about, you know, you're a, you're a thinker or you're a feeler or you're, a, you're an introvert or you're an extrovert and all this stuff. And it's like, well, if I am, do I, I mean, am I? And then do I operate inside that context or what? You know, I don't know. Well, I, anytime no. you get that kind of stuff and you've got contrasting person, different, uh, well, like extrovert and introvert, and you, you, you talk to somebody, you can put them in one of those classes. I mean, it doesn't mean that they, they have to stay that way. Yeah. But... If you if you get these categories, you're going to be able to put somebody in one of those categories. Yeah. But people believe it. But the, thing is, the thing is, that doesn't mean they're a total extrovert or a total introvert. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of shades in there. But because you've got two categories, you're going to stick them in one or the other. Yeah. See, they may be predisposed in a certain direction, but they can still go ahead and operate. You take a if you raise a child and you just turn that little fellow loose and let him go and give him a lot of leeway and all, and then you encourage him and compliment him all, you're, he's gonna become more extroverted. If you say no, 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 just constant, and you're always, you're gonna to tend to make that person a little more introverted into that. But that doesn't mean that they, they're made an image of God, that they somewhere along the line can't come to see certain things and then force themselves to be uh, whatever they want them to be. I think the more, the more of your environment that was contrary to what you want to be, then the more difficult it is in that area. It's just like the language thing, but you can still do it. I don't know, it just seems like that the, the way things have been, I've been reading these things tonight, that it's, it's more far-reaching than you, you're in this mold and no. you should stay this way. I, I, I'm sorry, I just like... Exploded there, but it's. No, it's I, just, I mean, I don't know. It's something I've been thinking about for years. I just, I don't know exactly what to do with it. No, I think you that all of us have Christ as the goal, and if, if, uh, if we're all doing what we should, the older we get, we all to everyone becoming more Christ-like, and that would go on all through life. Any other comments? Anybody want to make? I think. Uh, like Mark, I've run into people that uh, they're Christian, say they're Christian, and then they act in the way that they cheat, they um, do say their jokes and all this kind of stuff in front of just the world out there. But to me, they've got things worked out where they are, they're right on these few doctrines. And that don't, that they're not wrong on anything else. That's, but as long as they're right on those, they're right down the line. As long as they don't sing with that piano. Right. <laughs> and so that's, that's the thing. They're not into these uh, spiritual part of trying to remold their lives. They've already accomplished that. I think Jack made a good observation in our background, Mark, not, I'm, at least I should say my background, that, uh, more emphasis was put on some of the things Jack mentioned than on your uh, personality and being Christ-like and things like that. And we've always, you know, that uh, when we talk about somebody as being a sound preacher or sound faith, we know exactly what they're talking about. You know, it may be a scoundrel in his own personal life, but we know that 
and really uh, within our within the church as a whole, we would have more Christ likeness if we actually preached this and taught it and and could ever get people to realize that this is the essence of Christianity. Everything else fall into place if we get this down. What Mark said earlier about uh, the differences in the Christian life and those that aren't Christians and, and showing it. I think sometimes the college atmosphere is, is kind of artificial in a lot of ways because you see a lot of people that may be doing things that are bad, but you really don't see them reaping the consequences of those a lot of times. And, but once you get out of college, I know like where I work, there's a very big contrast. And you see the people that have lived their lives contrary to God's will, you can see all kinds of, of consequences that they're really suffering for. I mean, the marriages are just, I mean, it's just like horror stories and their, their families and, and their, then their situations they get into and all. And, the more I see, the more I realize that that I've escaped a lot of that because of following Christ and the teachings that, that I was as, as a young man. So sometimes it is difficult to see a difference, but but sometimes as long as you see it more and more. I mean, sometimes it's almost like walking into the twilight zone talking to some of these people and what goes on in their lives. It's just their life is so different from mine. It's, I mean, it'd be like a bad dream, living a bad dream. So don't get discouraged. But no. You see people that are doing those kind of things, but they're really not suffering the consequences and, and think, well, I don't really, Christianity doesn't have anything to offer. It really does. Anybody else with any comments or observations? 